Hello and welcome to the Lancet Podcast. I'm Richard Lane on Friday, October the 5th. This week's feature focuses on an article published online on Thursday, October the 4th concerning cervical screening, which has implications for increasing the interval between screening for cervical cancer. More on that in a moment. Before that, here are some highlights from the issue of The Lancet dated October the 6th to the 12th. Tobacco and nicotine reduction is the focus of the lead editorial, linked to a viewpoint published online on October the 5th. This coincides with the publication of a report on October the 5th by the UK Royal College of Physicians concerning tobacco and nicotine reduction. The main argument focuses on the need for alternative, in other words safer, methods of delivering nicotine other than through smoking tobacco. It also highlights the irony in how relatively safe modes of nicotine delivery, such as Swedish snus tobacco, is far more heavily regulated than more dangerous forms of nicotine consumption, such as cigarette smoking. A research article highlights how the addition of thalidomide to conventional chemotherapy could improve survival among older people with multiple myeloma. And another research article highlights the importance of monitoring both daytime and nighttime blood pressure in terms of their prediction of fatal and non-fatal coronary outcomes. In the green section of the journal, we conclude our series on global mental health and on engine health, topics of previous podcasts. But back to our main feature, which concerns screening for cervical cancer. Earlier, I spoke to lead author of the study, Professor Chris Mayer, Professor of Pathology at the Vrij University in Amsterdam. This study assesses the merits of doing screening using DNA analysis of the human papillomavirus in addition to the standard method of cytology. Professor Mayer, you're the author of an important study we're publishing online this week, thelancet.com. This concerns screening and detection of DNA for human papillomavirus and cervical cancer. Up until this study, how much have we known about DNA testing as a possible screening method in comparison to conventional cytology? Until now, it was clear from several studies including one, an overview of Jack Cusick from the Wolfson Institute in London, that testing for human papillomavirus actually detects more precursor lesions of cervical cancer than cytology does. It's not only more sensitive, also the negative predictive value for the absence of precursor lesions was very important. Now, having said that, it was very important to realize if you detect more precursor lesions, then the question is, are these important lesions? So are these lesions clinically relevant? And by doing this randomized trial, we actually found that in the arm in which we tested, in addition to cytology for human papillomavirus, in comparison to the arm which was tested by cytology, we found that about 50% more precursor lesions were found than in the control arm using just cytology. But after five years, we found that in that arm, which was where we used human papillomavirus, we found out that indeed there were less precursor lesions present than in the cytology arm. So it turns out that although over two screening rounds, and in the Netherlands, because this study was done in the setting of population-based screening, it turned out that in the five years interval, that the total number of lesions was the same, but that in the human papillomavirus tested arm, we found in the second round less lesions. So by using human papillomavirus testing, we detected the lesions earlier, and since we did not find them after five years, these lesions are indeed the relevant lesions which you would like to have in cervical cancer screening. 
Thank you very much. That's a great overview of, of the study. Just to go back a couple of steps, could you just clarify what the main objective was when you designed this trial? Was it to get a scientific result so that we could be clear about the relevance of SYN3 as an important lesion precursor of cervical cancer to get a scientific result? Or were you hoping that this would be powered enough to actually have a real influence on future policy and clinical practice? The trial was designed on both ways. On one way, get a scientific result. What does it mean if you find the CAN3 lesions? But the second thing is that the government is actually paying for this trial. The result will be used for implementing in the future human papillomavirus in the setting of uh, the population-based screening program because the trial was designed in 1997-1998. And by doing this, we had already at that time the idea that uh, human papillomavirus was testing was more sensitive than cytology. At that time, we had to prove in the setting of population-based screening that indeed the lesions we detected more were indeed the relevant lesions. And therefore, this trial was done. At present, is now at hand, is that in the Netherlands, the Health Council, which gives an advice to the Ministry of Health concerning which tool should we use for cervical screening, this Health Council will use these results in their advice whether we should use human papillomavirus testing instead of cytology. Can you just comment on the methodology here? Quite a simple design, but large numbers of women enrolled and it all ties in with the Dutch screening program, doesn't it? What we did actually, we made two arms. One arm was just using conventional cytology. The other arm uses conventional cytology and in addition, human papillomavirus testing. In the arm where we have just cytology, it is if you have a normal result, then you get in five years, you come back because of the normal screening interval. If you have what we call borderline or mild dyscariosis smears, those women are asked back after six months and 18 months, and in case they had an additional abnormal smear, they were sent for the gynecologist. In the human papillomavirus testing arm, we tested all the women who tested human papillomavirus positive. If you have abnormal smear, and especially borderline amount dyscariosis, then those who had an abnormal smear and severe human papillomavirus positive, they were sent to the gynecologist. If you were human papillomavirus negative and you did have an abnormal mouth or borderline smear, then those women were just controlled and not sent to the gynecologist only after six months and 18 months. And the results you've already described, they were quite clear results. The main results being that the, if you like, the combined arm of DNA testing through PCR and, and conventional DNA testing analyses and conventional cytology yielded earlier detection of SYN3 and SYN3+. But overall, at the end of the trial, the actual proportion of SYN3 plus was the same in both groups. It was just that it was detected earlier in the group where DNA testing was available. So the main implication of this study, therefore, is that if DNA testing can be done at the same time as cytology, you're detecting these lesions earlier. Therefore, presumably, you could expand the screen interval. Yes, we are at the moment making this calculation, but preliminary results already shows us that it's at least one year that you can extend the screening interval. The calculations show that two or three years is also possible. So this means for the women that they have less burden of screening rounds and anxiety and things like that because you can extend the screening interval. 
But what happens next? We still need more research, don't we, before we can actually change guidelines for screening? There are two points which I think are very important. I already told you that at the moment the Health Council will bring an advice to the Ministry of Health. The results of this trial, and of course there are also other trials coming, which I will expect give the same result. The other point which is important that the human papillomavirus tests which are used say should fulfill certain requirements because if you have a too sensitive technique then in the women with normal cytology too many women will have a positive HPV results will not have or get CIN lesions and therefore it's important that guidelines for human papillomavirus tests are made and in fact we will present in the conference which will start in Monte Carlo in, at Eurogen, we will present proposal, a proposal on which requirements the, the test should fulfill before you can use them in clinical practice because it's very important that these tests are clinically validated. Absolutely. I was going to mention that also. There is a slight concern, isn't there, that the specificity of DNA testing is less than that of cytology, so you could be getting false positives with DNA testing. Yeah, you can, you can test false positive. I personally do not like the false positive design of that because we clearly showed that if you use a clinically validated test, the women who have normal cytology and are HPV positive have an increased risk for getting precursor lesions of cervical cancer. And that's, of course, that false positive test indeed is a good term. It's important to mention that you will also get with a clinically validated test a small number of women who are HPV positive and have normal cytology and consequently an increased risk for CAN3. Indeed. And finally, Professor Mayer, your study wasn't here to test cost-effectiveness. That will be done elsewhere, presumably. But what are the implications in terms of logistics for women receiving both Scientology and DNA testing, both in terms of the experience for women and also the cost-effectiveness issue? What we are aiming at, as far as we can see, because we do, as you perhaps know, we do a lot of studies on human papillomavirus. And from the data we have now, we have developed a cost-effectiveness model and also so an, uh, a model for cervical cancer, which is not only specific for HPV, but also for the HPV types. And we already mentioned in the article that if you look for HPV testing as a primary test without cytology, and the setting, the design of this study is so that you can calculate that, then it looks that we should not use cytology as a primary test, but we use first human papillomavirus as a first screening tool, and then you can do the triage by cytology, and I think that's an important advance from what you can do. And if you look for those cost calculations, even at the prices which cost the test now, it is cost-effective if you extend the screening interval by one year. But since you know that if you are using HPV testing as a primary screening tool, the price of the test will definitely decrease. And in addition, it's also, I think, very important because this has also been mentioned in some studies, and this we also showed in the publication, that the referrals for colposcopy, they will be increased by human papillomavirus testing. If you look for the algorithm which we had, then we had in the first round a slightly increased referrals for colposcopy, but at the second round, you can see that there is a decrease in comparison to the first round for the 
the human papillomavirus testing arm. And I expect that if you implement human papillomavirus testing and you do one, two or three rounds, then the number of referrals for colposcopy will definitely be somewhat lower than what it is at the present using cytology as a primary screening tool. Professor Mayer, we must leave it there. It's a very interesting and important study and we're going to hear a lot more, I'm sure, about the implications of the results. Thanks very much indeed for talking to The Lancet. Okay, thank you very much. Professor Chris Mayer concluding this week's podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next week.